Well, good evening, y'all. Welcome to episode three of uh, Starting at the End. We're going to be in Matthew 24. If you got a Bible uh, that's brought from home or want to use one in the uh, pew, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew 24, which Jesus talks about in times. And so uh, much of what we're going to uh, see uh, in the outline uh, on the screen is also going to be supplemented. I'm going to have the scriptures up there. So uh, uh, when we take a look at Matthew 24, um, as we're looking at this text, remember what we've examined the first two weeks. If you understand worldviews and how people view humanity's future, we can make a utopia. We can make a perfect society on planet Earth because when you start with the assumption man is basically good, then it's just an option of do we have the right religion? So Islam goes, well, if we'd all convert to Islam, we, we, we could have a, a perfect world. New Agers come along and go, no, 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 no. It, you need to understand that everything is God and you're part of everything, therefore you're part of God. So once you understand that, we will take the next step in evolution. It won't be physical, it'll be spiritual. And we'll start to love and honor one another because you'll love and honor God. And these are just manifestations of God in front of you. Poverty and greed will disappear. So the New Ager goes, it's just an, another step in evolution. Marxists come along and say, no, 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 you don't seem to understand. Evolution's in play, but it's not physical, it's not spiritual, it's economic. The next step in economics, it is inevitable, is to leave capitalism, move to socialism, where government controls means of production, sets prices, understands economics better than anybody. And then eventually, you'll not have haves and have-nots, you'll have an equal playing field where everyone has equally and then the government will just fade away and people will live in peace and harmony because everyone has to each according to their need, from each one, from their ability. So that's the, the, the belief. Finally, humanists, secular humanists believe, no, no, what we need is a global government that will run the planet. We have 190-some nations moving in separate directions. If we pull in one global direction, we could pool resources. We could pool our, our creative ideas and solve the major problems. What are they? Economic, terrorism, uh, uh, environmental, quote unquote global warming. If we solve these problems, we can enter into a new age of humanity. But it just depends on us dropping our agendas, the American agenda, Canadian agenda, Puerto Rico agenda, whatever, and we just follow one global agenda. Now we enter into God's inspired and errant word. Jesus talks about humanity's future. And he goes, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Why? Because you're sinful. We're the only worldview that speaks the truth. You, you want to know what you're starting with? You're starting with fallen people. You'll never create a perfect society. You can't find a perfect home. You can't find a perfect church. You can't find a perfect city, business, you name it. Because you started with flawed people. So now, once you understand that, Jesus goes, you know what you need? You need me. And that's why the church's job is to share that truth. And so we're going to listen to Jesus answer the questions that the apostles had. Hey, talk, talk to us about the end times. Can you tell us? Sure, I'll tell you. I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm going to tell you in a straightforward way, here's what's going to happen. It's not couched in picture language. This is not Daniel, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Revelation, which are apocalyptic literature. End times information in symbolic form. That's not what this is. He's just telling it straight out. Okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. That's good news. 
It's not meant to frighten. It's meant to inform. It's meant so you know what to look for. Once you understand that, you, you've got an edge, and then you also understand, okay, what am I supposed to be about? <laughs> Helping people gain what they really need, and that's a relationship with Christ. Let's pray. We'll take a look at Matthew 24 and what Jesus says about end times. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for an opportunity we have to gather around your word. Pray that we'd be able to understand what Jesus said. Lord, I pray that you'd give us new insight in your word. Lord, I also pray that you calm fears, help us to understand that we have work to do. We thank you for the forgiveness in Christ, and we pray that we can share that good news with people as we live our lives, as you give, as you give us time here on earth. Lord, we thank you for this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on the outline, uh, you can see where we're going in Matthew 24. I just want to give you some background to the biblical worldview uh, and uh, uh, just to understand, it's not on the sheet. If you want to jot it down at the bottom, you can. Our biblical worldview, if we use the acrostic area, assumption, reality, ethics, and answers, our biblical, our Christian worldview starts with the assumption that God exists. We're theists. And so God, three in one. It's a mystery. I cannot explain it. No person can. You can give imperfect analogies. Well, the Trinity is like a clover leaf. Or the Trinity is like water. The Trinity is... Uh, like a triangle, right? Well, yeah, you can, but still, one God, three persons, we accept it by faith. We are supernaturalists. We believe in a natural and a supernatural realm. We believe that we live in a matter-filled uh, world, but there's also spiritual realities, God and a angels, demons, and the like. When it comes to ethics, we believe in moral absolutes. There are universals that are are for all people to follow. The Ten Commandments are an example. Jesus uses the uh, uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and talks about these things and then continues to point out this is, this is God's will for us. So it doesn't matter who you are. When Paul writes his letters, he'll quote Old Testament moral code and say, this is what you should follow. These are universal. And then finally, what's going to happen, and it's on the board here, there's going to come a terminal point to humanity. We're not going to continue to evolve and move on and life just goes on and on and on. There comes an end time, a judgment day, and then eternal states of heaven and hell. You're either with Jesus or, or without him. Jesus says, you either gather with me or scatter, or you're either with me or against me. It's only two teams. It's not Democrat and Republican. All right? It's not Packer and Bigger. It's are you saved or unsaved? Are you a Christian or not? So we're going to be taking a look at Matthew 24. Again, you've got your Bible there. You've got your outline as well. On the board, when you talk about end times, there are some people in different denominations who have different views. I'm going to show you the amillennialist view. It's a Lutheran view. There's other denominations who subscribe to this as well. There's Christians out there uh, who are premillennialists. There are Christians out there that are postmillennialists. So just a heads up as we go into this, just to help you understand, okay, what are these terms that are on the sheet that you, that you see on the, the slide? So we're going to start here on the left side. God creates everything in six literal days, rests on the seventh. He's done all this work. Adam and Eve are created. Eventually he's fallen to sin. And then the promise of a Savior uh, in Genesis 3.15. But he's going to crush the serpent's head, even though the serpent will, will bruise his heel. So... Using the Genesis genealogy, chapter 5, chapter 11, literally doing that, yeah, about 4,000 BC. Here's Abraham, right? 
He's told in Genesis 12, you're going to be the father of a great nation. You're going to have this land, and all nations will be blessed through you. Why? What are your descendants will be the Messiah? So Jesus Christ comes to earth. We're just using the number 38 years when he dies, rises, and then uh, ascends into heaven. We're going to see in the text, in the last week of his life, and this is the Matthew 24 text, the apostles have a question. Can you tell us about the destruction of the temple? Can you tell us about the end times? So that's what this chapter is about. We're going to use this term, the New Testament age. Some Christians call it the church age. The time that we live in is the New Testament age, the church age. It goes from the time of Christ almost all the way up to the end times. So we're in the New Testament age, church age. What we're going to find is this. Jesus says, you want to talk about the end? Okay, I'll tell you about the end. There's going to come persecution. We're going to call it the age of tribulation. It's global in scale. It's directed towards Christians, people who are, again, on that team. The world goes, no. And so there's a time of tribulation just before judgment. The age of vengeance just slid in there. Disaster just before the Lord returns. Jesus is going to talk about this. And then the Cairo symbol, Greek, uh, letters for uh, the C, the H, and R, and Christ, okay? The title is symbol for Jesus. Jesus comes back on Judgment Day, and that's the terminal point. And now you're either saved because you're with him, or you're unsaved and you're against him. The sheep and the goats judgment, if you remember Matthew 25, okay? So that's a, a Lutheran view. Uh, other Christian denominations believe this as well. We are amillennialists. We not believe in a thousand-year reign of Christ. Premillennialists do. Notice on the timeline, almost identical. So you believe that the earth started, and it was Father Abraham, and Jesus came, and we're in a church age, New Testament age? Yes. And then, in premillennialism, the belief is Jesus comes pre, okay, not on Judgment Day, but way before Judgment Day, pre, the millennium or a thousand year reign of Christ. The belief is Christ will come back to earth and everybody on planet earth will become Christian. Right now there's seven billion people on the planet, over two billion are Christian. Five billion or not. Everybody comes to faith. Why? You, how could you not believe? He comes down there he is. He's living here on planet earth. He's in Jerusalem. He's in a rebuilt temple. He's here on planet Earth. We believe by sight and not by faith because he's right here. Everyone believes. Then, after a thousand years of Christ on Earth, where everyone believes, there is a satanic temptation and people fall away even though God is right there. And his tribulation begins. So there's people who still hold on to the faith, and yet they're persecuted because they follow Christ, even though he's still there, so people have rejected him now. And then what happens? There's Judgment Day and the eternal state of heaven. Postalism, last view. Simply put, watch the similarities. Creation, Abraham, Jesus, New Testament age, time in which we live. What's going to happen? Notice Christ comes post or after the thousand years. He comes post or after. He comes on Judgment Day. So it's very similar to amillennialism. But the belief is, for 1,000 years, these 5 billion people who are not Christian will become Christian through evangelism, through outreach, through 
conversion by the Holy Spirit. And the whole planet is Christian for 1,000 years. After that, again, there's a satanic temptation, people fall away, then there's a persecution of people who are holding on to Jesus and hating tribulation, and then Christ comes back at his judgment day in the eternal state of heaven. So, long story short, there's a lot here to unpack. We're not going to focus on this, but sometimes people go, oh, where does the millennium fit in, right? It's a new teaching as far as Christianity because it's really from the 1839. This is not part of the historic Christian church. The historic Christian church is pretty much about this. Not the idea that Jesus is going to live on earth for a thousand years or we're going to convert everybody and that's going to be peace on earth for a thousand years. It's a relatively new teaching. And so just to understand that. Uh, again, if you've got more, we can talk at, at the end. This is where we're going to focus the idea that there's creation, there's a fall, there's a promise of the Messiah, the Messiah comes. We're in a time, we ought to preach the gospel, New Testament, but there's a time coming and there's persecution. And it's global in scale. Disaster, this is what we're going to call an age of vengeance, just before Jesus comes back. Then it's judgment day, and then the eternal state to heaven and hell. We're in Matthew 24. This is the last week in Christ's life. He has come in on Palm Sunday. He's been lauded. He's been praised. Uh, Monday, he curses a fig tree on the way to the temple. It's emblematic of Israel's rejection of him as Savior. Uh, he, he, he teaches and teaches. And, and then this is probably Tuesday, maybe Wednesday of Holy Week. Eventually, you know what's coming up. It's going to be Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. And then he's going to rise from the dead. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? Truly, I, I say to you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So that's what Jesus says in the first two verses in uh, Matthew. If you take a look on the screen, there's a model of the temple that Jesus would have walked around in, in, in that first century. He's prophesying, again, we're going to ballpark it, it's 30 AD. Forty years later, the temple's going to be totally destroyed by the Romans. The Roman general, Titus Vespasian, will go in and destroy it. If you'd like more, you can read Josephus. He's a Jewish historian. He's not a Christian, but he lives at this time. He's an eyewitness to these things. And so he talks about what happened. And literally what Jesus said comes true. They had laid siege to Jerusalem. The Romans were tired of Jews rebelling against them. In one sense, they had a, a, a wonderful deal for the Jewish people. You do not have to worship our Roman gods. You can keep your Jewish God. You can worship Jehovah. You can have your temple. You, you pay your taxes and you, you just do the right thing. And there was rebellion and rebellion and rebellion. And finally, Roman had enough. And what did they do? They laid siege to the city. Josephus records how devastating this was. It's, it's horrific. Many, many, many people die. Many are taken as slaves. Before the temple is breached and destroyed, they decided, well, we're not going to just level this place. There's so much valuable things here. And one was gold. There was gold overlaying the Holy of Holies. So they built fires in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant would have been. God's throne room, if you will. 
and the heat from the fire melts the gold and it pours down the walls and then pools on the ground. And the idea was, okay, once it's molten or melted and, and, and pooled on the ground and it's cool enough, then we can go in and we can scrape that gold up and take it. Well, the gold melts into the mortar joints and so they literally knocked the stones one off another and scraped up the gold that went in between in the mortar joints. So what Jesus says literally comes true. He goes, do you see this incredible building? Not one stone is going to be left on top. Well, this blows these guys away, so they want to know what in the world, right? Verse 3, and Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now notice, two things are asked there. Jesus, can you tell us about the temple's destruction. For us, it would be, I walk into church and say, God gave me a vision, and I saw the White House leveled. And I saw the U.S. Capitol decimated. And I saw the Supreme Court building gone. It would shake us to the, what? It's the heart of our country. What are you talking about? So you'd want to know about that. So they say, hey, when is this temple going to be destroyed? And then, since you're already talking about the future, could you talk about the end? So here's what's troubling when you read Matthew 24. You're reading one speech about two topics. It's one speech on two topics. So Jesus, when are you talking about the end? When are you talking about 70 AD when this campus is a temple destroyed by the Romans? So that's what we got to do as we go through the text. So Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. On the outline, you can see on the third bulleted point, this is talking about the New Testament age. We're going to call it the New Testament age. Some call it the church age. Our Luther Church in Missouri Synod has a nice little document, a little pamphlet on this. If you'd like more, they've got this uh, illustration in it. Uh, they explain all this in detail, so again, if you want more, I can give you more. But long story short, we're in this New Testament age. It runs from the time of Jesus uh, up to a point when there's this global persecution. And so when Jesus talks about, oh, okay, what's going to happen in the future? Notice what he says. One. You're going to see people claiming, I am the Christ. Now, if you live your life and keep track of this, you can find people who have stepped up through time and said, I'm the Messiah. So here's some. Yahweh ben Yahweh. In Hebrew, God, the Son of God. All right, Yahweh ben Yahweh. So here's this man in Florida who says, I am God, the Son of God. When you joined his cult, you showed total devotion to Yahweh ben Yahweh by killing in his name. And so people went out and did that. Obviously, not the Messiah. Reverend Sun Yun Moon of the Unification Church, nicknamed the Moonies. Reverend Sun Yun Moon says, God appeared to me in 1936 and told me I was the Messiah. Jesus had died did not complete the plan of salvation. God now is tapping me on the shoulder to become Messiah and finish the job. And so Reverend Moon of the Unification Church, Reverend Sun Yun Moon, he says, I'm the Messiah. 
So if you live your life, if you keep your eyes peeled, you'll, you'll have people who say, I am the Christ. Jesus goes, don't, don't be deceived by this. You shouldn't freak out about this. This is what you're going to see. He then says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Encyclopedia of Wars is a, is a book that you can look at categorizes, catalogs, wars through time. Uh, there are groups that watch what's going on on the planet. In our United States, we talk about maybe finally withdrawing from Afghanistan. And then we might think, well, then that's it. Now the planet's at peace. What I found fascinating when I wrote my second book, Starting at the End, there are double-digit wars going on every year on the planet. We don't know about them a lot of times because we don't keep our finger on the pulse of international events, but there are double-digit wars everywhere. Sometimes it's between two nations, sometimes it's civil war within a nation, sometimes it's multiple nations involved. When we're involved in something, we know about it. So you go back to 2003, what happens? Well, we're in Afghanistan, then we go to Iraq, we're in two fronts. Oh, we're living in the end times. Oh, we're living in the end times. So I'm teaching them Milwaukee Luther, the kids, are we living in the end times? Are we living in the end times? Well, yeah, but Jesus said, you will hear of wars, rumors of war. I am leading North Korea, and I'm going to launch nuclear weapons. You'll hear of rumors of wars, all right? We are Iranians, and we're going to destroy Israel. And we want nuclear technology, and we will wipe Israel off the map. Jesus goes, excuse me? You'll hear of wars, rumors of wars, see to it that you're not alarmed. This is part of humanity, sinful fallen humanity, which does this, does this all the time. He says there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. The devastation caused by weather or by humans inflicting this on one another is absolutely brutal. So for example, do you remember Live Aid? Remember Live Aid? Let's hold these concerts in Philadelphia and London. Let's raise money and let's give the food to the starving people in Africa. Then what happens? Much of that does not reach the people who need it because the corrupt government in some of these countries keeps it for themselves. So when you talk about there's wars, there's famines, there's earthquakes. 2005, Katrina hits. Seniors' hands go up in senior religion at Milwaukee. This is a sign of the end, right? Katrina? No, no, it's not a sign of the end. Polar vortex last year about this time. Sign of the end, right? Sign of the end. No, it's not. Are you, bad weather, you're going to live through this stuff. And then Jesus says, well, it's like birth pains. And ladies, you can explain. It's going to increase and get worse before the baby's born. He goes, this is just the beginning. We live in New Testament age. Is this stuff bad? War? Bad? Earthquake? Yeah, it's bad. Jesus goes, but it gets a lot worse. But nobody wants to hear that. So if you want, you know, you go, ah, thanks, Jesus. But it's kind of like when you're teaching kids who are going to go into college, like I did for 28 years. Let me tell you what it's like in college. I'm telling you this not to frighten you, but to inform you. I'm going to tell you right now, you don't read, you don't study, you don't go to class, you ain't going to make it, Okay? You went to grade school, and then you went to high school, and then you went to college, and it just kept getting tougher, okay? So I'm just going to tell you the God's honest truth. I'm not telling this to scare you. I'm telling this to be honest with you. And that's what Jesus is doing here. 
Next, he says, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So we're in the New Testament age. And the persecution that's going on now, as so you read Acts and you can start, you start seeing the persecution of Christians, and it goes on today, Voice of the Martyrs, I've mentioned them, they, they follow what's going on in the church around the world, the persecution that takes place. So this has been the existence of Christians through the New Testament age, but it'll ramp up big time, and if you were here for our Revelation study, we talked about that. It'll ramp up big time, it'll be global in scale, and it'll be everybody who follows a Christian is under the gun, all right? So he says, you've got to watch out. So we're going to call this the age of tribulation. Name stems out of Revelation, um, and, and, and we can explore that later if you want. But clearly, he points out, you'll be hated because of me. It's not your socioeconomic level. It's not your political affiliation. It's not your biological sex. It's not your, your, your skin color, whatever you want to divide people into, in, into groups by. It's because you're a Christian, because you follow Jesus Christ. The woman on the screen had her face mauled by a machete uh, by Muslims who said, we are carrying out jihad, this is Allah's will. So she has survived that attack, but unless she gets reconstructive surgery, this is what she will live with. And so Christians in America, we have no idea what that's like. Our founding fathers were not perfect, but they said you will have freedom of religion. We are not going to establish a national religion. You're going to be free to exercise your belief. And you don't, if you don't want to believe in anything, you're free to do that as well. Then he says, and this follows logically, there will be a falling away from the faith. Instead of the Christian church growing post-millennialism, where this is now a global phenomenon where everyone believes because they're the church actually shrinks. It's a great falling away from the faith. And then he says this the second time. There will be false teachers. When you and I know God's word, you test everything with God's word. 1 Thessalonians 5. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. 1 John 4. Dear brothers, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they're from God. Is it matching up with Scripture? If not, well, that, that, that's wrong. And so to test these things is important because he says this now the second time. He goes, well, you're going to have false teachers. And then an increase in wickedness. The idea that we're good and we're just going to be better if we have the right religion, the right economics, the right... God goes, child, you're sinful. And we don't get better, we get worse. When we stiff arm God, I don't want to do your will. Romans 1, when God goes, thy will be done. Three times in Romans 1, when, when God goes, God gave them over. When God goes, go ahead. It's always terrible, because what's our, our nature? It's not good or neutral, it's sinful. And that's why he goes, let me tell you what humanity's future is. It's not utopia. 
it would be dystopia. It would be a, a, a terrible future society. And Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. There will be terrible times in the end days. And then he goes on to categorize these things. Why? Because it's just our, our sinful nature coming out. When we stiff-arm God, I don't want to do your will. So what's the law? The law shows us our sin, but the law also is a guide for us. It shows us God's will, his desire for us. When we go, I don't want to do that. Your will be done. Go ahead. And our nature, it's turned inward, and it takes advantage of people, and it's just awful. And that's why he goes, it's going to be pretty bad. Uh, Jesus will talk about parallels to the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah when he talks about end times. Read Genesis 6 through 9. When you read Genesis 6, every inclination of man's thought was only evil all the time. God, why did you destroy the entire earth except for eight human beings? It was out of control. He goes, I just shut it down. When, when things are out of control, when it's beyond repair, we do that in our lives, right? This car is no good. This laptop is no good. Whatever it is, we're done here. We're done here. Think about that. Every inclination of man's thought was only evil all the time. God goes, we're done. Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to destroy this Abraham. Oh, wait, 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 wait. If you found 50, you wouldn't do it, right? No, I wouldn't destroy it for 50. What about 40? 30? 10? Yeah, for 10 righteous people, I wouldn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You can't find 10. So what happens? God goes, I, I shut it down, and I'll do it again. He says, though, the word will go across the globe. So you can find many passages. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Second Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, 4, God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3, 9, God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's God's desire. So he goes, the word goes out, and I use you. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I'm using you to tell my story. And you interact with people, and you have opportunities. And so when you read Paul's letters, Paul will go, pray for an opportunity. <laughs> Look for that open door to talk to people. The gospel will be preached all over, and it's going to come. So now... You've seen this New Testament age, the time in which we live, and then this time of persecution just before the Lord comes back. And now we're going to go back and answer that question in God about the temple's destruction. You know this is specific for those people because when you read verses 15 through 20, he's going to have geographically specific references. It's going to be references to the temple and that area of the world. So that's why you go, oh, okay, now you're answering the question that the disciples have. Talk about, talk, talk about the end. Talk about the end of the temple. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Let, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their clothes. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight or your escape will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. What? Now Jesus references the book of Daniel. Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah. They're written in apocalyptic literature. It's end times information but in a symbolic format. He mentions when you see the abomination 
a detestable thing that causes desolation, that causes ruin and destruction. He goes, run for your life. When you see that in the temple, get out, right? If you want to see the quote, it's from Daniel 11, verse 31. It's on the outline, it's on the screen here as well, right? So Jesus, wait, 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 wait. So what are you saying we're supposed to do? Run for your life when you see something abominable, offensive, destroying the temple. Get out. Don't pack a bag. Don't, don't go down and gather all your, your, your belongings. Just run. Run for your life. When Daniel's writing this, Daniel, we're going to ballpark it at 600 B.C. All right, so we're just going to put Daniel in the ballpark at 600 B.C. Daniel is prophesying by God the Holy Spirit about a Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes. And so what did he do? He was an abomination that causes desolation. So this prophecy was fulfilled, right? Here's what Josephus, mentioned it before, a Jewish historian records, right? He says, well, Antiochus goes in, plunders the temple. So remember, there's things made out of gold, there's all this beauty there, takes all that stuff. Then he builds, he's a, he's a Greek, so he takes the Greek main god Zeus, makes a statue, an idol to Zeus, and puts it in the temple, all right? So again, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, we're going to put my god here in, in the Jerusalem temple, right? Sacrifices pigs in the temple, an unclean animal, if you read Old Testament, unclean animal, takes those Sacrifice pigs, boils it, dumps it all out in the, the temple. Again, just to blaspheme and disrespect. The analogy for us would be people take fecal matter and urine and just throw it all over the church. They pull the cross down. They put up a, a symbol of Satan. Uh, and, and so again, just to, to devastate our sanctuary here. So Jesus goes, history is going to repeat itself. He goes, reader, you better understand. History's going to repeat itself. So what happens? Well, 40 years down the road, Roman general Titus Vespasian, what does he do? As I mentioned before, lays siege to the city, and eventually his guys get a little rambunctious. He didn't want this to happen immediately, but they went in, started the fires. They say that Titus got in and had a chance to look at the Holy of Holies before the whole thing started to melt, and they destroyed the whole thing, right? So Jesus says, hey, do you remember when Daniel prophesied about that event that took place many, many moons ago? Well, it's going to happen again. So when you see something going for the temple, get out of town. There's a Christian historian, Eusebius, and he says these Christians got out of Jerusalem when they started to see more and more Roman soldiers heading towards Jerusalem. Remember, they were under Roman occupation. They would have seen Roman soldiers all the time. But now all of a sudden, they start seeing all these soldiers and all these encampments. And Christians, 40 years later, remembered what Jesus said and thought, you know what, we ought to get out of town. They went to a town called Pella. They went to a town called Pella. Uh, hold a finger here or mark this with the outline, Matthew 24. Let's go to Luke 21. Check this out. Go to Luke 21. So in your Bible or in your pew Bible, go to Luke 21. When you read Mark 13 or Luke 21, it's the same speech, and God the Holy Spirit moves through Mark and moves through Luke just to add a couple of other things. 
That's good. That's good. Because here's what happened. Here's Jesus speaking, and, and this information is conveyed, and it's identical, and then there's a couple of different points that are added, and that should be understood, right? That, that's not a contradiction. It's just same thing that would happen here. If you, if you would talk about, hey, what happened tonight? Well, we went through Matthew 24. And, and if someone says, oh, and pastor apologized for setting up late. Well, someone didn't mention that. Well, that's a contradiction. No, it's just that you talked about the Bible study, and this person talked about the Bible study, and pastor talking about being late. Now, I was late, too. I, was, I got here about five minutes before tip-off and came from Racine, and that's a different story, right? But long story short, this is not a contradiction. It's just more information that God's Holy Spirit shares through Luke. So we're in Luke 21 and verse 20. Jesus says, When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Now look at 21. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those in the country not enter the city. And then it goes on and on. So isn't it amazing? Christians who heard what Jesus said and then watched. And 40 years later, here it is. Now think about that. Did they have to teach their kids? Did they have to teach grandkids? Possibly. So, hey, everybody, this is what Jesus told us. When you see the army starting to surround Jerusalem, just get out. So they got that message. They heard it. They lived it. They told it. People obeyed. They got to come. Now, back to Matthew 24. Flip back there. Now he's going to shift from pretty much the near future for those disciples. Because they asked to talk about the temple being destroyed. Now he jumps to the end. And what we're going to call this age of vengeance, disasters that occur before the Lord returns. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, Christians, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, the Christians. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or, here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there's a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, now he quotes Old Testament, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. What I find absolutely fascinating is when we're biblically illiterate and we're Christians, when we're biblically illiterate and then we see current events, there's a war here, bad weather here, economic turn down here, oh, it's a sign of the end. Jesus goes, child, before I come back, there's going to happen things that you have never seen, nothing like it ever in recorded history, and never again, obviously, because at the end of history. And he goes, and if it wasn't for the sake of the Christians, no one would survive. So the next time somebody's pushing the panic button, oh, the tornadoes, look at the tornadoes, look at the hurricanes, look at the blizzard. God goes, John, I didn't tell you this to freak you out. I told you to inform you. 
So you open your mouth and you go, can I just talk to you about signs? We're always going to have bad weather. And it's not that we shouldn't prepare or shouldn't, shouldn't understand safety and everything, but understand that there's going to come much worse things. But there's a God who wants to save you because your biggest problem is sin. He's, he's the solution. He says this stuff is unparalleled. There's nothing like it. You can't go, well, it was like the summer of 87 when it was scorching up. Nope. Nothing like it. This is the third time now, he says. Now watch out. False Christ, false Messiah. <gasps> Even performing miraculous signs. When you want to look at marks of the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives seven marks of the Antichrist. And one is performing signs by Satan's power. So it's fascinating, this, this concept. Well, how would you recognize Antichrist? Well, there's seven things to look for. Again, it's a letter from Paul to people in Thessalonica who, who thought, oh, we're living in end times. And he's trying to explain, calm their fears. That's what First and Second Thessalonians is all about. And he explains Antichrist with seven descriptors. And one is doing miracles by Satanic power. And then he mentions this, astronomical signs. He quotes Old Testament. And isn't it fascinating? When Jesus came to earth, when he was born, there was a sign in the sky. And those magi, they, they, they knew it. And then they came. And where is this, the king of the Jews? There was something in the sky that they saw. And in the future, there will be wise people who know what Jesus said and who go, that's the sign Jesus was talking about. Nobody knows the day or hour. We're going to see that. No, you, you can't predict and say it's going to happen on February 27th in 2021. No, nobody can do that. Nobody knows the day or hour. But he goes, you're going to know some signs that it's close, all right? Uh, I want to take you to Luke 21. Again, hold a finger here. Now go to Luke 21. Hold a finger here. Go to Luke 21. It's on the outline there, and we're going to verses 25 and 28. So again, Mark, uh, Matthew 24, we're going to go back in a minute. We're going to look at Luke 21, verses 25 to 28. So again, the same speech, and now Jesus says this. Now Luke, by the Holy Spirit, records this. Here's another part. Look at the description of just before Jesus coming back and what you're going to see. You're in Luke 21, starting at verse 25. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Men will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Back on the timeline, what's the age of vengeance? We'll get that term from the book of Revelation. I'm going to show you that because of our time constraints. I'm not going to get it now. But this concept of age of tribulation, or age of vengeance, just before the Lord comes back, what's going to take place? Well, there's the church being pursued, and then there's all these disasters that are parallels, and then signs and the sun, moon, and stars. He says people are going to be freaking out over this because they're going to be in anguish, perplexity, fainting. The heavenly bodies are shaken. Think about that. No matter where you live on the planet, boy, sun, moon, stars, we see them, we see them, and 
And then there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the universe. Look at what he says. Verse 28. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. While there are people fainting in terror, you are standing going, he's coming soon. And you're able to tell people, this is not a, 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 uh, some, some invasion from outer space with aliens. There's, this has been prophesied. Jesus talked about it. What we're seeing now is heralding his coming. Let's be like the wise men who are ready the first time. Let's be ready to worship the king. But he's not coming to die. He's coming to judge. And that's the last part. Let's flip back to Matthew 24. So Jesus now talks about his second coming. Again, the apostles asked, talk about the destruction of the temple. Talk about your second coming. Okay, I will. Verse 30, he says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Time out. He's, he's paraphrasing Daniel 7.13. Daniel 7.13, a prophecy Daniel sees about Christ's second coming. Daniel says, I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds, ushered into the ancient of days presence, and everybody worshiped him for all time. So he's seeing Christ's second coming, Daniel, in 600 BC. So that nickname, son of man, comes out of Daniel 7, uh, 13. You'll see the sign of the son of man. Everybody's going to see me and mourn when I'm coming on the, power, uh, on the clouds of glory. He'll send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Christians will all be destroyed in the age of tribulation with no Christians left. Huh? How do you know? Well, what did Jesus say? And when I come back, there's Christians and non-Christians. Everybody's going to see me. And there are some people who are in terror or going to see Jesus and there's others who are going to welcome me. So again, the idea that he's gathering everybody, believer and unbeliever, on the last day. Right? That's the second coming, verses 30 to 31. If you take a look at verse 32, Jesus says this. Uh, now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you don't know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not let his house be broken into. So you also must ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect it. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing, what he, doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he'll put him in charge of his, all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. 
and then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come in, will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he is not aware of. He'll cut him to pieces and assign him a place with hypocrites, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus finishes this discourse on, okay, when is the temple going to be destroyed, and what are signs of the end? With this, watch. Watch. He says, you know how to do it. He gave this example. You see buzzards flying around? What's over there? Well, a dead body. Good. Uh, red sky at night? Sailor's delight. Red sky at morning? He goes, you know how to read the signs? He goes, I just told you what to watch for. Now all you got to do is keep your eyes peeled. you got to watch. He goes, some are not. All right? Mark 13, 37. We're not going to go there. We'll go to Luke 21. Let's go back to Luke 21. Mark 13, 37, he says this. What I say to you, I say to everybody, watch. Well, watch what? <laughs> he goes, I just told you. Now, why isn't everybody watching? You're going to Luke 21. You're going to Luke 21. Some people, he says, are not going to watch. Those Christians 40 years later, when the temple, uh, when Jerusalem was starting to get surrounded by armies, they were watching. They got out of time. They did exactly what Jesus said. Jesus goes, somebody's going to be the eternal generation. Somebody's going to be the last generation on earth. So watch. Well, why isn't everybody watching? He gives you three reasons why they're not watching. You're in Luke 21, starting at verse 34. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you'll be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. He goes, I just told you what to watch for. Now, some of you are not. And he goes, here's why. Dissipation. Huh? The idea is doing a lot of nothing. We'd say partying, wasting time, killing time. Are you focused on the word? No. Are you watching what Jesus said? Said about what? But I gotta watch the mass singer. Because I gotta know who's behind that mask. And I gotta get the latest issue of Spider-Man. Because that's what life's all about. Next, he goes, some people are drunk, some people are high. They're not in their right mind. How can they watch? You can't even walk straight. He goes, next, some people, they're worried. How's the market doing? Oh boy. How's my portfolio? Oh boy. He goes, they're worried about this. They don't have their eyes on the big picture. He just lays it out there. So let's throw it open to questions. We're done. If you gotta go, you gotta go. All right. 